But I want to go back to the uh, Word of God today. If you got your Bibles, go uh, with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. I know we got some traveling and some out to uh, for various reasons on this day. But look around you and uh, call somebody. Tell them how much you missed them today. I know we got people going to family and that's understandable. But uh, look around and tell somebody that you missed them in the house of the Lord today. Ephesians 6. Chapter 10, we want to continue on with the armor of God. I want to, let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. We're going to talk about the shoes of the gospel. The shoes of the gospel. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for our moms, God. We thank you for, God, uh, what special place they hold in our lives and in our hearts, God. We thank you for the design of family. We thank you for the design of moms and motherhood. God, we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, God, that, uh, that, that you designed it in such a way that through, uh, God, uh, through, through, uh, precious women, God, that would come the birth of our Savior who would save the world. And Lord, we thank you for that, God. We thank you, God, that you would bring salvation through such a way. And Lord, we just, uh, we just, we just thank you for your design, God. We don't want to change it. We don't want to say that it's, uh, that, it, that it's not right because it is right. We go with your plan, and we thank you, God, for both men and women, God, of God. And we just praise you for it, Lord, today. And we celebrate it today, God. In the past, God, I've made little of it, and I felt like you were saying make much of this uh, today because uh, uh, this is what I designed, and, uh, and, and they're made in my image, and they're so important. And as the world and the Antichrist system wants to destroy what you have made, God, so wonderfully. And so, Lord, we want to come back and get into this book, and we want to live in this dark world, God, as men and as women. As men and as women, God, and we want to do our roles well and we want to compliment one another we want to have godly homes and God, we want to celebrate marriage God and we want to just uh, celebrate children God not 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 do away with them not that they're a problem but God we want to celebrate them and all the all of your creation and what you've created God so we do that today there's no confusion with you there's no confusion with your order God there's no confusion with your design God it's perfect and it's uh, it's wonderful and we thank you for it Lord today in Jesus name and everybody said amen. amen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. He did. He did. And it's beautiful. And it's awesome. He has. He has. And now he's going to take all of our bad, all of us, and turn it to good. And that's well said, Margaret. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, if you got your Bibles again, turn to Ephesians 6. Let me give you, here we're going to go a recap. I warned you. I warned you. I warned you, Gabe. Pop quiz. He's ready. He's looking on his notes. Open book. He, he's not cheating. It's open book. So, so the first week we were on the armor of God. We talked about the belt of truth. And what did we learn? Two points. Cons oh, consider. We consider. Yes, we consider. And we learn thoroughly and note carefully. And then secondly, we cover our private parts, right? That's how we do that. Then the second week, uh, last week, when we caught back up after we had a week off of that, we had the breastplate of righteousness. And there were two types of righteousness. And what were they? Oh, my goodness, we are doing good. And imparted righteousness, right? Imputed, Gabe's going to be on the dean's list this week. 
<laughs> Good job, y'all. I know y'all listen. Y'all are such a great, uh, y'all, y'all are hungry for the word, and I love that. Uh, but we did. We talked about imputed righteousness, and we talked about imparted righteousness. And, we, and man, if you, if you did listen, that, that was so amazing because uh, imputed righteousness, uh, once you receive his, his legal righteousness that we are made right, that we take the Jesus, uh, we take his legal obligation uh, and, 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 it's, and we receive it and he takes our legal obligation and everything that goes with that. So he took sin upon him. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So we take what he legally owes, which is nothing, and it becomes ours. And he takes what we owe and he gets treated as though he owes that and is pulverized on a cross and put in a grave and resurrected again for our behalf. And so we said when we receive that, that we all want to know in the core and the depth of our being, we all want to be examined by God and we all want to be found presentable. And that's the only way you're going to be examined by God and found presentable is if you receive the righteousness of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And it's imputed to you by faith. And, and, and when you receive that, it, it, there's two types that come. Not only does that one come, but you also get imparted righteousness. And that's where God imparts, uh, the, uh, he, he begins to impart righteousness inside of you. And he begins to change you. He gives you the power where you didn't before have the power to live a right life. Now he comes in and not only makes you legally right, so you can rest I'm legally right but now now these imparted righteousness into me and by his spirit and through his spirit I, I'm given new desires and a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit and so I'm changing from image to image and glory to glory by the spirit of God well today we want to talk about putting on something and we're going to talk about putting on the gospel putting on the gospel of peace putting on the gospel of peace God brings peace uh, but it must be put on you have to put it on. This is, not a, this is not a come every Sunday and just listen to the gospel and say, I've heard it enough and I agree with it. No, you got to put this on. He's telling us you put on the gospel of peace. And I'm going to tell you how to put on the gospel of peace. We've learned how to put on the belt. The belt. We consider, we learn thoroughly, we note carefully. We let it go down and cover our private parts that we don't want anybody to see or that we don't want anybody to touch. We let God's word touch it and we let God's word heal it and we let God's word protect it and then we also uh, we learned how to put on the, uh, the the breastplate of righteousness where we have value again where we know that we are we are right and righteous before God we're legally right before God and we want to put that on every day and wear it and we we uh, we learn how to do that and today we're going to put on the shoes of the gospel so Ephesians 6:10. finally be strong in the Lord and in the mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and today with your feet fitted with 
with the readiness, or some versions say shod, with the readiness which comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, in the coming weeks we'll learn, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all of the, of the Lord's people. Now, as I said, the Bible commands us to, to, to put on the full armor. And what he's saying, uh, Daniel, is be intentional. You must be intentional about putting this on. You, you, you have to apply it to your lives. You, you can't just leave it lying there. You can't just, just uh, have, a, have a mental agreement about it. Christ, and what that tells me is that there's many Christians here today and in the world that are not wearing this armor, that we're not wearing or putting on. And because we're not wearing or putting on this armor, it's destroying our lives. It's destroying our relationships. It's destroying our marriages. It's destroying, we said, there's a vain of imaginations that come into our life because we don't put on and wear this, th- this stuff that the enemy comes in and he, and he comes in uh, uh, to steal, kill, and destroy. And he destroys our walk with God. He destroys our spiritual walk. He destroys our walk with uh, each other. And so the way to avoid this is we must be intentional about putting on the full armor of God. And that's why it's not enough, as I said, to come to church and just listen. The Bible says, put this on. It's kind of like this. Have you ever, have you ever been... Uh, guys, maybe girls too. Uh, have you ever uh, uh, been involved in sports? And uh, when you were younger, and you know you did sports, and you were uh, on something. I'm going to use. Uh, I'll use. Uh, I'll use BMX. I did that one time. I did baseball. I did football and other things for little stints and that sort of thing. But but have you ever done something like uh, skateboarding, BMX, and all of a sudden you're all out there with your friends riding, and you're pretty. You're you're pretty okay at, at doing what you're doing, but somebody comes out there and they are like the Mac Daddy, right? No, I mean, they really can't do things. You can do the same tricks they can do and do all that kind of stuff, but I mean, literally, it, it's as though they defy the laws of gravity. They just, they just can like float through the air, kind of like Michael Jordan back in my day where he could just take the ball and go from a free throw line and just literally he could do, other people could dunk and do things that he did, but it was like he could stay in the air forever and just do whatever he wanted to do with the ball. It's like he slowed down time and just did what he, what he did. And that's called athleticism. Okay. And that reminds me of this verse today where we're talking about this particular uh, scripture where we're talking about this because what, what, what does athleticism mean uh, when, we, when we say athleticism? Here's what it means. It's a person who is able to rise above the gravity and above the boundaries of physics and do things that most people could never do. Listen to me again because this is going to tie in. It is a person who is able to rise above gravity, above the boundaries of physics, and do things that most people could never do. Kind of like I did that day at the Stallions, kicking the ball, Terry. Right? (laughs) In my dreams. Well, it reminds me of this scripture because, listen, the reason it does is because it's in this scripture. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Readiness in the original Greek means a fitness in the Christian character. 
having an athleticism, a buoyancy, a, a fitness in the physical character. How, how would you like to have a fitness in the physical character where you're like the Michael Jordan of, 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 of Christian, of Christianity, where you rise above uh, what, what, uh, what, what stops other people and what bogs other people down, where you have this readiness. You put on this, these shoes of the gospel, and you have the gospel of peace, and it causes you to have this buoyancy. It causes you to defy gravity, where you can really rise above the other things that are going Going on that most people get pulled down by, but you seem to soar over it and rise above it. And that's what we're talking about today. That's what having your feet shod or put on the uh, and having ready the gospel of peace inside of your soul. Because the readiness uh, in the original Greek, as I said, means a fitness in Christian character. It means to not be held back by the same things that other believers get held back from. It's like this in verse. 15 where I add some words in here and with your feet fitted with lightness the sure-footedness the buoyancy that comes from the gospel of peace I want that my goodness I want that well you got to put it on today you got to put on the gospel you got to put on the gospel of peace. It's like Paul and Silas. How many remember Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? And what happened there? They have been beaten on their backs. They have been put into stocks. And all of a sudden, what would make most people like me when I get into those situations, make me murmur and complain and throw something and get upset, all of a sudden, they don't do that. There's a lightness in them. There's a buoyancy in them. There's a sure-footedness in them. And they don't slip in that area like other believers do. It's they, they, they just seem to come through that moment and the Bible says that at midnight all of a sudden they have peace and they begin to sing surely goodness and mercy shall follow me or whatever they begin to sing. They begin to sing and they begin to rise above what would normally pull everybody else down. They are gliding over it in the name of Jesus and they're absolutely, it's amazing because they know they have a job to do there. They know there's something God has for them to do in that place so they know God's got them in that place for a reason and so they just stick it out knowing I've got peace I'm going to put on the gospel of peace and I'm going to stick it out in this situation because God is faithful and God knows what he's doing and guess what when they begin to sing in the midnight hour you know the story there's a Philippian jailer there that's there all of a sudden the earthquake comes the rocks bust open the chains fall off and the prison the prisoners could go free and Paul and Silas say don't go free we got a reason to be here and the jailer takes out his sword to kill himself and he says don't kill yourself we're all here and they go home and the jailer and the entire family get saved because these guys were able to rise above. They were able to put on the gospel of peace and they were able to rise above the spiritual they had spiritual athleticism Maybe I don't have it in the, in, the, in, the, in the kicking, but I want it right here. I want it in my spiritual walk even more than there. I want some spiritual athleticism in my walk with God. And so that's exactly what they did. Well, where do you get that? Where do you get that buoyancy? Where do you get that sure-footedness? Where do you get that joy? Because that's what they had. They had this peace, the gospel of peace. And with that gospel of peace comes joy. Joy. 
There's joy in the house of the Lord. Hey, I got a, I got a, I look, I got a, I got a gas tank under my car that's broken. I've, 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 I've had two or three other things that go on. But there's joy in the house of the Lord. Right? There's peace. There's joy. There's a buoyancy, that can, a light-footedness, something that won't cause me to... Those things aren't going to cause me to slip. I'm going I'm to sail over them in the name of Jesus, right? I'm going to rise above them, and I'm going to know that God's got a purpose and that I trust Him. In the past, I haven't trusted Him, and I've accused Him, but I, I, He's bringing me somewhere. I didn't even get upset the other day. There's something that just came inside of me, a peace that's in there from putting on the gospel of peace. Amen? And that's where it comes from. And listen, let me put up the definition of joy. Look at what the definition of joy is. Joy is the ability to move on when everyone else is weighed down. Well, you get joy by putting on the gospel. Go ahead, go to the next. Joy gives the Christian a lightness and agility and ability to defy emotional and mental gravity. Let's go to the next. Joy gives the Christian a spiritual athleticism. And that's what I want. But it won't work unless you put it on. See, again, we have this idea we just come to church and we do things over and over again and we just listen and we give our approval to them. But you have to, uh, you have to put on the gospel. And we must use the gospel against the devil, right? But I'm going to tell you somebody else we've got to use the, uh, the gospel again. And you're not going to like it. Yourself. Yourself. This is why a lot of us don't have peace yet. We want to use it against the devil, but you've got to use it against the devil, and you've got to use the gospel against yourself. Paul calls this gospel. There's a lot of things the gospel is called in the Word of God, but Paul calls it the gospel of peace. And one of the reasons he calls it the gospel of peace is because it means peace between you and God. Right? He became your propitiation. He, he paid your penalty. You owed a debt and Jesus came in and he was punished for every wrongdoing that you deserved, that I deserved. It was placed upon our Savior. We learned that last week. Everything you've done in the past, present, future, or ever will do, there is no anger left in God because he pulverized his son for you. And because he pulverized his son, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to crush him because he crushed the power and the weight of sin and death and he caused men, mankind to be able to be set free through his son and whom the son sets free is free indeed so God is one part of the gospel is God is not angry at me anymore because of Christ and that's when we put on the righteousness like we talked about yesterday we are legally right before God I am legally right if I have a bad day or I have a good day, if I mess up today or if I don't mess up today, I am right. My, it does, I don't change the sliding scale because Jesus has paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Right? Sin had left a, a crimson stain. He washed it whiter than snow. He didn't kind of wash it. He didn't wash it if I have a bad day or if I have a good day. He washed it white as snow. So we have peace, and God is not angry at us anymore. The gospel, but here's, 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 it, here's the problem. That dealt with God's anger towards you. 
But here's the second part that we don't often do. We don't deal with our anger towards God. You say, I'm not mad at God. Oh, I I will show you you are. I'll show you that in your flesh you are. And not only does our God's anger towards us have to be dealt with, but if you want to put on the gospel of peace, your anger towards God has to be dealt with as well. And when you can get that dealt with, peace, you will put on peace like a river. And it will be absolutely amazing. You, you say, I'm not angry with God. Well, look at Romans 8. It begs to differ with you. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Look at verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. In your flesh dwells no good thing. Apart from Christ, you are hostile towards God. And I'm going to show you that more in a minute. It does not submit to God's law. Before you came to Christ, you cared nothing about God's law. Nor can it do so. All your religious acts, all your coming in here and trying to pray enough, read enough, study enough, teach enough, preach enough, do whatever you want to do, sing enough, it makes you no merit with God. Those who are in the realm of the flesh, can we just bust that over and over again, Paul? Cannot please God. Right? You cannot please God in and of the flesh. The natural inclination of the human heart is what he's saying, is hatred towards God. Naturally, men apart from God hate God. Okay? You're angry at God in your flesh. And I'm going to prove this to you. I'm going to show you because we, we stuff this way down deep inside because we, we would feel way too much shame because we already can't perform right, right? Come on, I already can't read enough, pray enough, do enough to get it right. I tried, tried over and over, even after I became a Christian, kept falling back into this pattern of trying to say, God, did I do it? Daddy, did I do enough to get the watch? I don't really feel worthy of the watch yet, so I'm going to do a little more. I'm going to clean myself up a little more. When I get rid of that sin, when I have enough power to do that, then you'll, you'll, you'll be pleased with me and all of that hogwash. That's a, you, you have no power in the flesh to do anything. You have no strength in the flesh to do anything and so what we do because we got enough shame and guilt from that already we already have that we haven't put on the breastplate of righteousness and we haven't we're trying to do everything in our own righteousness and that's why that sliding scale begins to go if I do good today then aren't you pleased at me but if I do terrible today man I feel like a worm and I feel horrible and we just up and down up and down up and down in our Christian walk but so so now you tell me that I hate God I'm not uh uh-uh I still stuff that way down deep inside because that would really bring shame. That would really bring guilt. So I put that in a place and don't ever touch it. And guess what? So when I put that down in a deep place and never want to touch it, guess what I do? Then I project it onto other things like my parents. If they had just done a better job parenting me, then. Or that preacher hurt me. I'd be so much further in my spiritual walk if it wasn't for that church. And the real anger is towards God. 
But we projected onto other things and onto that relationship that didn't work. They left me at the altar. They did this or they did that. And we began to, to put our anger somewhere else because that cross is too heavy to realize that nothing good dwells in my flesh. And so we stuff it down and we put on this mask and we redirect our anger, anger into other, other places. Like I said, hating our parents, the opposite sex, specific Christian denomination, hate another race. And deep down at the the root and the foundation of it all is really a hatred and anger towards God. And you ask the question, why would anybody hate God? And I'm going to answer that question because Jesus answers that question in the gospel. Look at Matthew 6, 24, and it will tell you, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or you will be devoted to one of them and despise the other one. You cannot serve both God and money. But we could say that about so many things. Because what he's saying is you can't serve two masters. You cannot surrender complete control to two different people. Let me say that again. You cannot surrender complete control. I'm talking about complete control. To do do two different people. Either you'll hate one and you'll love the other. Or you'll despise one and and, and the other. So so that's the problem. You can't surrender that control. But you won't control. Yeah. You won't control. How do I know that? Because it was sown into us in the garden. There was a tree placed there. And it was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan came to Eve and said, If you eat this tree, you can be like God. You can know good and evil. And you can have control. You don't need to listen to Him. You don't have to trust God. When things are going bad and when things don't look like they're working out right, you don't have to trust in His promises. You don't have to listen to what He said. You don't have to believe what He says. You don't have to believe that all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to His purposes. You don't have to listen and believe that He is faithful, that He is a master plan. You can live fully independent from Him. You can trust your own self. You can be your own master. Can't serve two masters. But we do. And we have since the fall. We serve our flesh. And we trust in our ways over His ways. We trust our and our friends' opinions and the psychologist's opinion rather than what this book says. And we pen knife it because he doesn't know what that person did to me. So surely he's not asking me to forgive them. I know better. I'm my own master. And so he says, don't serve him, serve yourself. And that's the thought that has been sown into the human heart. And it's things like this that have been sown. And this is how I know we have this anger towards God. Because it's things like this. We're we're so dissatisfied at the way life is is treating us. That we begin to say things like this. If I could just get the right career. 
that I would be in control of my destiny and I'd be happy. And if it wasn't for my parents being so stinking, being an alcoholic and wasting all that money and they could have sent me to college, then I would have been something and I would have had control of my destiny and I would be happy today. If I had the right figure as a woman, if, then I wouldn't be fighting all this. If, you know, I'd have a good marriage. If, if I could break into this specific field or if I could get people to approve me, I will be in charge of my life. When I feel like I'm in control, then I'll have joy. Then I'll have peace. Then I'll have happiness. Then I'll be my own master. But here is the rub. You cannot. And the reason you cannot is because God puts obstacles in your way stopping you from it. And that's why you get so angry at Him. But you won't admit at Him so you blame other people. Because He's the real obstacle stopping you from getting everything you want. Happy Mother's Day. But if you will listen, you will have peace in your life. Because this is the gospel they don't teach you everywhere. It's the true gospel. And so we, we project it on others. It's our parents' fault. If they had raised me better, I'd have more money in the bank. I would, I would have control over my life. Well, it's that political party. They raised taxes and they cut our 401k. And I would have a good retirement. So we begin to be angry at the Democrats or angry at the Republicans or, or angry at this president or angry at that president. If it, it was the church, if they hadn't hurt me, I would be so much further along in my spiritual progress. But underneath it all, we know that it's actually God. He's stands between me and the thing that makes me feel in control. Right? He stands in between me and the thing that makes me feel really in control of my life. Let me give you an example. You end up in the hospital and they give you a cancer diagnosis. How in control do you feel in that moment? You're lying in a hospital bed. That'll teach you a lesson about it. You have no control over your life. Zilch. Zero. Nada. Absolutely no control. You cannot change anything that's going on in that moment. Nothing. Zilch. Not a thing. Well, I'm not angry at God. You know why you're not angry at God? Because you still have hope that things will work out the way you want them to work out. But if you live long enough, you'll find out that they don't always do that. And then your anger will come out and it will be brought to the surface. Amen? So how do I deal with this anger? How do we deal with this anger so we can know real peace? So we can know real joy. So we, we can have spiritual athleticism. So that even if we are doing the gospel and we wind up in a prison being beaten on our backs. 
that we can still rise above it all and have peace in the midst of that place and begin to live for others. How can I have real joy, real peace? How can I have spiritual athleticism that enables me to rise above sin, trials, and difficulties and, 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 and that everybody else seems weighed, weighed down by? Well, the, the way you do it is you use the gospel to stop the war. You use the gospel to stop the war. And Jacob was a man who had to, had to eventually do this. Jacob wrestled with God. One of my favorite characters in the Bible because I, I just I, I see so much of myself in him. And he wrestled with God. And he wrestled with everybody else his whole life. He wrestled with God and he wrestled with Laban and he wrestled with this one and he wrestled with that one. He wrestled with everybody for his entire life. And the blessing was the one thing that would make him feel like he was in control. But he had to have it come the way he wanted it to come. He couldn't just wait on God's way. The blessing was coming already. He already had the blessing, but he had to make it. He had to feel in control. He had to get the blessing the way that he thought he had to get the blessing. And that's what he spent his his day. He had to make sure, I want my future to be right. I've got to secure my future. So i got to make sure this thing's done right. i got to feel in control. So all of a sudden he gets to a certain place where he finds himself wrestling with God. He's trying to connive and get what he wants from God. He's trying to wrestle. Wrestle the blessing out of God's hand the way that he wants to receive the blessing. Oh, don't act like you hadn't done it. Trying to wrestle a healing. Trying to wrestle a miracle. Trying to, your way. Trying to wrestle things out of God's hands. Trying to wrestle uh, uh, your, your child's salvation out of God's hands. All these things. Trying to manipulate in prayer and, and intercession. Trying to tell God the way it's got to be. Trying to control everything, right? If I could just have this, if He would just do it my way, then I'd be happy. Right? And so he's wrestling with Jacob. Jacob's trying to do this. God shows up in the flesh. He's got God literally in a headlock. How would you like to? Literally, God is in a headlock and he's wrestling with God right there trying to pin him on the ground. And halfway through the night, here's what the best blessing that could have happened. God reaches out, touches his hip socket. His hip socket pops out of place. And he says, God says, let me go. And what does Jacob say? He's already defeated. He's not wrestling anymore. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Here's the beauty of what happened, and I've seen this in my own prayer life. I've watched this change in my life as I grow and mature and I get older. Jacob went from wrestling, he went from being at war, to now clinging to God. Clinging to God. Literally holding on to the promise of God. Not trying to tell God, i got to be in control anymore and you're going to do it my way. Now he's clinging to God. I won't let you go until you bless my soul. I don't care how it comes, but I won't, it's not coming my way. But I won't let go of you, God. I need the blessing. And folks, I've seen it in my prayer life. Trying to wrestle with God. Trying to get blessed in a certain way. you got to heal me in this time frame. you gotta, you got to make sure my life is in my control. And I've seen God transform 
transition from my trying to wrestle something out of God's hands to trusting in His character. Now I'm clinging to you because you're good, you're faithful, you're worthy, you're a God, you are awesome. And now I'm not asking you to bless me a certain way because I do know that all things will work together for the good of them that love God and are calling according to your purposes. If you delay the answer, there's a reason and I can endure it. And God, give me a spiritual athleticism to rise above this in the meantime and to live for you and to live for others. You'll heal me in your time frame, Lord. You'll you'll deliver in your time frame. You'll do everything in your time frame. So God, I'm going to trust your promises even though my life feels totally out of control. I'm putting on the gospel of peace. And when you put on the gospel of peace, there comes joy. You sing at midnight. You sing. You, you, you dance on this side of the miracle. You dance on this side of the Jordan. You play the tambourine. You don't wait till the Red Sea opens and you get on the other side and Miriam breaks out the, the tab, tambourine. Right song, wrong side. You do it on this side. You begin to say, hey, I don't know how he's going to do it. There comes Pharaoh. There's mountains. There's a sea. But my God is faithful and I trust him and I got peace and I got joy that he's going to come through. Amen. Hallelujah. So if you want to deal with your anger towards God, you have to do two things. Here's the application, Cole. Two things. Number one, you have to realize that it's real. You have to realize your anger towards God is real. And you have to face it. Inside of every one of us, we have a natural enmity Towards God. Uh, just a natural. That he's a tyrant. That he's, a, that he, that he's not a father. That he, that he's, that we, we accuse him of child neglect. Come on, you've done it before. Where are you God? If you would have been here, I wouldn't have been laid off. If you would have come earlier, my marriage would still be together today. This is your fault, God. It's like the, the rescue worker who, who uh, you, you pretend you're a rescue worker and you, you get a call that someone's fell off of a cliff and you run to that person on the cliff and, 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 and this person sees you coming from afar and they can talk and they say, oh, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you made it. Help me. But then you get a call the next week and it's a different person at the same cliff at the same time, but you start coming towards them and they say, get away from me. Get away away from me. This is your fault. If you hadn't put, you didn't fix the guardrail and that's why I'm here. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And some of us have said far worse to God. So there's this enmity and you've got to recognize it and realize it and you've got you to uh, admit it. And then secondly, you've got to put on the gospel. You gotta go to verses like Romans 5, 6, and you gotta you gotta go back and remind yourself and put on the gospel where it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anybody die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this: that while you were yet sinners, Christ 
died for you. Amen. He died for you. We, even when we spit in his face like the second person that was waiting on the rescue worker and said, No, I don't want you anymore. You let me fall. You let me go through this uh, trauma. You let me get cancer. You let my mother die. And I don't have her on Mother's Day. And all this. And we begin to put it up towards God. This is your fault. And there's this enmity, this anger, this hatred. If you would have only been here, you could have stopped this. But you didn't stop this. And round deep really inside is you're really ticked you're a tyrant right but the gospel proves and shows us that while you were doing that Raymond I still died for you It proves and reveals the love of God that while we had enmity towards Him, while we hated Him and saw Him and treated Him like a tyrant rather than a father, He still loves you. And that's putting on the gospel of peace. Not only is He no longer mad at me, but even though I'm mad at Him, now He still loves me. And when I find out that, it melts my heart. Folks, it melts. Here, let me, let me close with this. Tom said I had to hurry. He's hungry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> a pastor I listened to prayed a prayer like this in Bible school. He never wanted to go to Bible school. Ministry wasn't a plan. I've I've talked about it the last couple of reasons. I've been listening to a lot of his testimony and different things. He saw the trials pastors go through. He had a different plan for his life. He was in control. He wanted control of his life. And all of a sudden, he was dragged into Bible school by several people, by God. And he's in a place he didn't want to go. He was a very liberal person, and he's gotten saved. And now he's in this ultra, ultra conservative Bible school where you can't even carry a cell phone. You can't talk to the opposite sex. I mean, like, it's, it's ultra conservative Bible school. No TV, nothing. No listening to music. And, and he's in this place. You had to dress a certain way. And he's in this place. And he's absolutely miserable. And he's in there. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He has no more control of his life. He's been drugged into this place. He's doing... in the, he's, he, It wasn't like a casual... You're going to let go of New York and you're going to let go of the great restaurants you eat in there. You're going to let go of a friend one a little bit later. You're going to let go of this one a little bit later. No, it was like everything in his life that he loved and had and had, had it was all gone. And now he finds himself in this place where he's sitting there with people that he's looking like across the room from mid, mid-America and, and probably the South and all these places and thinking these people. But who are these people and where did you come from? And, and just not relating and wondering, God, I don't even know what, to, what I'm going to do after three years of staying in this place. You don't even have a, you haven't even told me the plan. I have no idea what's going to happen. For all I know, I'm just going to sit in the middle of this wilderness, this place, and then when you're done, I've got nowhere to go and nothing to do. And it was so foreign with him. He was so angry with God. He went out and prayed, and here's what he prayed. He said, he began to, he began to cry out, on this hillside and he began to pray he went into a field and here's what he said he said God I hate you 
He said, I would rather go to hell and be in eternal damnation than to see you face to face. If this is how you treat your people, if this is the type of hope that you give to me, he said, you have taken everything from my life and I do not know where I'm going after this. And he yelled out. And when he yelled out, he said, shame just came over him. And guilt. he's like, I can't believe I just said that. It was from core, way down deep inside. And now he's thinking, I did it now. I cannot believe I just told the living God, I hate you. And I hate your plan for my life. And I hate that I'm not in control. And he said, when he did, here's what happened. He said, the Holy Spirit he said, just, just, just enveloped him. And he said, even though that is in your heart, and even though that is how you feel towards me, I still love you. And not only do I love you, but also I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And I have a plan for your life that is more glorious and marvelous than, than you could ever imagine. And although you cannot see it yet, you do not trust me, yet you do not believe in me yet. I still will not let you go. You can run, you can hide, you can try to get away, and I'll still bring you back. I will love you, care for you, take care of you, and the rest of your days until you are finally at home with me. And he said when the Holy Spirit revealed that to him, and when he understood that, then all the security that you could ever imagine came over his relationship with God. And he said the, he, he said the feeling like he saw the worst of him, the very despicable parts of him, and yet he still loved him. He said a security Security came into his life like you could not believe. Peace came into his life and joy came into his life like never before. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Can you imagine? God saw the most despicable part and said, yet I still love you. I still died for you. I still am going to chase you. I'm still coming after you. I'm still going to keep you and I'm going to take you all the way and bring you unto myself. He said a joy came into him a lightness came into him. A buoyancy came into him. It came into him. A sure-footedness came into him like never before. He said, I didn't have any problem staying in Bible school. I didn't have any problem reading. I didn't have any problem studying the Word of God. I didn't have any problem not knowing what was going to happen to me after three years of being there. I knew everything was going to be all right. Amen? And he had the ability to rise above what most Christians cannot rise above. And that's the key, my friend. If you want to rise above and have a spiritual athleticism like that pastor. If you want to have one like, like uh, those uh, uh, two in the midnight hour. Then you put on the gospel of peace. But it's not only dealing with God and his anger towards you. Which was expiated on the cross. That means it was, it was swallowed up. I mean, Christ absorbed it. It's gone. God is no longer angry at the person who comes to Him in Christ. But, but, there's another part of the gospel that you must deal with. And that's your anger towards Him. And wanting to be in control. And it's in all of our flesh. And we've got to deal with it. And we've got to know that even in it, God loves you beyond it. And you can rise above it. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the Word of God. This gospel brings about peace that gives real joy. This gospel brings about 
peace that gives real joy. And then comes the ability to rise above. And so, Lord, you tell us to take the gospel and use it on our anger. And then we'll see real joy come into our lives. So, Father, do a work here this morning, God, in these last ten minutes real quick, Lord. And, Father, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. We're going to sing one song, and then we're going to say something to our mothers and, and uh, pass out one little token of, uh, of our love towards you. But, uh, but, but here's my altar call. The Holy Spirit cannot work with a mask on. It has to come off. It has to come off. There's a hatred that is manifesting in a different way than I thought you say today. Where I do not believe that God is truly good. He has put obstacles in my life. And he's taken away things that make me feel like I'm not in control. And now there's an anger. And if that's you. If you have that type of anger. I want you to come to this altar. And I want God. I want you to to give that to him. And I want him to, to minister into your life. Areas of our lives where we want control over those lives. And let this be a breakthrough moment where God says, I I love you. And I want you to surrender all of that to me. So we're going to play one song, and that's it. We're going to be quick. We're we're right on time. And so uh, let's play one song really, really quick. And if you need prayer this morning, or just let God deal with you in, in your seat right there. And let God just deal with that, that place in your heart. I did that this week. I know I had a real anger towards God earlier in my life when things didn't work out and my, a lot of things went on in my, from ninth grade on. I had, I, had, I had a lot of things. I didn't have control of my life and I didn't like the direction it was going. And I tried to think if I could do certain things to get it under control, I'd be happy. And man, God kept putting obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle in my way. And I, I did. I diverted the blame and the bitterness towards my parents and towards this and towards that and towards that. And man, finally I realized it's towards you, God. I, I'm angry. And it feels good to deal with that and just say, God, you know what? I, yeah, I am, I'm kind of peeved, kind of ticked. I had to do that this week. You can either stay in it or you can put it on. Hallelujah. 